Welcome to the podcast of Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Today's message was originally preached October the 23rd, 2011 by Sam Troyer and is entitled, The Heart of a Servant. Greet you in Christ's name. It's good to be together this morning like this. I think it's... It's good to have Sunday morning services when we're not quite uh, doing the same things every Sunday. I think it's uh, it is a uh, it's refreshing. The topic this morning that I've chosen is the heart of a servant. I uh, have been sharing a few messages about uh, interpersonal relationships. And um, when I was thinking over the activities of yesterday and how we all got together to serve, I thought this might be tied into that. In January, it's very cold in Minnesota. It's cold and dark at 5.30 in the morning in Minnesota in January. I know because I go there. And that's when I typically get up in the morning. It's about 5.30. It's cold and dark outside. One year recently, I got up and I was uh, fumbling around getting dressed in the morning early. I like to keep the bedroom dark if I can to not disturb my wife more than I need to. And I'd been struggling a little bit that year. I can't remember exactly which year it was. A couple of years ago, I felt that the classes weren't going like I wanted them to go. I felt I wasn't uh, connecting like I like to. And uh, I was a little discouraged, frankly. I And I was getting up early. You know, the first thing in the morning, you are at your, your resistance is at one of the lowest spots that you'll have all day. And you're feeling just a little low. And... I all of a sudden caught myself saying, Sam, what in the world are you doing out here in Minnesota in January? And uh, I was probably pitying myself a little bit. And uh, it seems like God spoke to me. I don't know. I can't say that he literally did. But it was almost like a white light. A light came on. He said, Sam, what are you looking for in teaching? Why are you teaching? Bible school. And I stopped to think about it. Why should I be teaching Bible school? And and all of a sudden, God seemed to be saying to me, if you are serving, it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter if you feel unappreciated or people don't recognize what you're doing. Are you doing it to serve? And it, it, to you, it may not sound like a big deal, but all of a sudden, it just it just changed my perspective. I realized that if I'm here to serve, and I, I trust I was, that it doesn't matter. God is going to reward, and God does appreciate. Embracing a servant's heart is one of the most important relational choices that you'll ever make. In your relationships with other people, if you embrace the heart of a servant, you will be very happy. 
We don't do it to be happy, but we do it in obedience. But the result of it is that you will be very happy. I can almost guarantee that to you. It made a huge difference in my experience. I want to use as a basis this morning a, uh, a look at the Sermon on the Mount. This is teaching about blessings and in service to God. And I will use it in an, in an illustrative uh, capacity. It basically illustrates to me what the heart of a servant is like. Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2 says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Jesus was spending some time with his disciples here to teach them, to prepare them to be servants, to serve the people. He said we would be blessed if we were would follow his plan. Blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the merciful. Service will bring happiness. Service will bring blessing. And the same attitudes and actions that bless us in our relationship with God illustrate the servant's heart. And that's the way I want to use this passage this morning. There are so many areas of service that we can be involved in. And there are so few servants to fill those. We need servants in our homes. I think for most of us, that's where it starts, in our homes. Do we have a servant's heart? We need servants in our communities. We need servants in our churches. We need servants in our workplaces where we can serve. In order to do that, we need a servant's heart. I'd like to look just a little bit of talk just for a couple of minutes about how you might see yourself. I know as youngsters, we had ideas what we wanted to be when we grew up. And some of them were very noble ideas and some were less that way. Maybe you wanted to be a doctor or a teacher or I remember wanting to be a school bus driver. I thought that would be so neat to be a, a school bus driver when I grew up. How many of us as a child wanted to be a servant when we grew up? You know, the Apostle Paul was an intense man. If I were to characterize him, he was a type A person who was extremely intense. And he began his way through life. He rammed his way through life, if you want to say it that way. Nothing was going to stop him from going his way until one day he met Jesus on the road. And he knocked him flat. And today, if you read his epistles to the various churches, he begins them mostly with the term Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a servant? What is the goal in your life? Is it to please yourself or to serve others in God? Our interpersonal relationships are threefold, and we've, we've been using that uh, an illustration throughout these series of messages about how we relate to God and each other and the way they interlap. We relate to God, we relate to others, and we relate to ourselves as well. In our relationships, we are called to be servants, to serve God. We are called to serve others. And, of course, we are not to be self-serving. 
we are to pass along God's grace to us that he gives to us to others. God never intended for us to become a reservoir for his blessing. We rejoice in his blessing. We receive it with thanksgiving. And then we pass it on. That is what he intends in serving. It brings glory to God and it makes a huge difference in our relationships as we go about serving. God has given us unique abilities to serve. Tools for serving. I borrow an illustration here from Rick Warren in his Purpose Driven Life. He said he has given us a shape to serve. And I want to just briefly touch on this. Our shape is an, an acrostic for our tools that we have for serving others. We'll start with the letter S, and that stands for our spiritual gifts. God has given all of us as Christian spiritual gifts to serve others as it has pleased him. He has shared spiritual gifts with us. He chooses what gifts to give us. He has given us a heart for service. That is where our passion is. Our interests, our hopes, our desires, what we care most about, what we're enthusiastic about. Thirdly, he has given us abilities. What natural talents we are born with, our physical abilities, our brain capabilities, our common sense, our abilities to make money, things like that. He has given those to us and we use them to serve as well. He has given us personalities. Each one of us are very unique in our personalities. You may be an extrovert or introvert or otherwise. You may be a thinker or a feeler. God uses all these as it pleases him. He has given us unique experiences. And those are also to serve. Things that he has allowed to come into our lives that we may not even enjoy at all. But he uses them in our experience as a servant. Today I want to look at just one aspect of this, and that is our heart. Do we have a servant's heart? And I, I'm going to be talking about this, and I, I want you to be thinking about yourself, not others, not anybody else, not what someone else may be able to do, but do I have a servant's heart? Is my heart one which allows me to serve, which compels me to serve. This morning I want to look at eight, eight different characteristics of a servant's heart. The eight characteristics that we could take illustratively from the Sermon on the Mount. What is a servant's heart like? Can you describe a servant's heart? What does God want my heart to be like in order to serve, to serve others, and in doing so to serve God? The first one is a humble heart. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And the term really is the destitute. Blessed are the destitute. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who don't have Anything to offer on their own. That's what it is. The, the poor he was talking about here are the people who don't have anything at all. Not We may consider ourselves poor, but these are people who have nothing. They're destitute. 
I'd like to read for you Eugene Peterson's uh, rendering of this verse. Uh, He says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. That is, I think, the essence that I want to draw on this morning. We are blessed when we understand our destitute situation. When we have nothing of value outside of of God. Number two, to be like Christ. We need a humble heart to be like Christ. Jesus sharing with his disciples in Mark 10 verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We, there's no doubt about God's will for us in that he wants us to become more like Christ. I can say that with absolute certainty this morning, that his will for each one of us as Christians is to become more like Christ. And in that, we want to become servants because Scripture says that God, Christ did not come to be served, but to be a servant. A scripture yet from Isaiah 42. Here is my servant. Speaking of Christ. Whom I uphold. My chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. And he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out. Or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. The picture I get here of the prophecy of Christ. Is that he didn't make a big deal out of himself. He didn't go up and stand up on a on a soapbox and, 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 and like a politician would do and talk about his goodness. He was a servant. He moved through the people like a servant would, quietly serving. He didn't raise his voice. He he was there as a servant. Number three, we need a humble heart to direct all the attention to God or Christ. To take us out of the spotlight and to put God in the spotlight, to keep a low profile. Number four, we need a servant's heart to be able to do the stooping that's required. You know, there was a lot of stooping and serving happened here yesterday. A lot of serving that went on. Behind the scenes, a lot of it. Three o'clock in the morning, at one o'clock in the morning, at midnight, there were people behind the scenes doing things, serving. Maybe not getting any recognition for it. It's the lowly tasks. I tell you, in your home, I'm speaking to you especially as brothers this morning, husbands, fathers, in your homes, the little things that you do to serve makes you like Christ. Brennan Manning was waiting to catch a plane in the Atlanta airport. He sat down in one of the many places where usually black men shine white men's shoes. An elderly black man began to shine Brennan's shoes. And Brennan had this feeling inside that after he was done, he should pay him and tip him and then reverse the roles. When he was finished, he stood up and looked at the black man and said, Now, sir, I would like to shine your shoes. The black man recoiled and stepped back and said, You're going to do what? 
He said, I'd like to shine your shoes. Come on, sit down here. How would you like them done? The black man began to cry and he said, no white man ever talked to me like this before. And the story ends with the white man, arms around the black Atlanta man, and they'd only just met. Tears flowing. There's something very disarming about serving in relationships. People can't resist it. When they think you're there to uh, lord it over them or to be critical of them, they will put up their guards. But when they realize you're there to serve, it, 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 uh, it's a beautiful thing. We need a humble heart to be able to place a high importance on others and their needs and their desires, to raise them up. Number six, to remove the insulation that pride can put around us. We are disarmed by humility. A humble heart is a servant's heart. A servant's heart is a humble heart. The second aspect of a servant's heart is a sympathetic heart. Jesus said in his sermon, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those that express their feelings. A sympathetic heart is one that can feel and understand the feeling of others. Someone who can see how someone is feeling, who can sense what someone is feeling and can commiserate, can can uh, relate to that. One who can get into the skin of the one he is serving. The one who is compassionate. To notice needs. And to be able to reach out. Dr. Albert Schweitzer was a uh, pioneer in Africa for many years. He was 80, When he was 85 years old, this man who was describing an incident that he had with Dr. Schweitzer... He is visiting a jungle hospital uh, on the banks of the Ungawi River. He says, you can imagine the deep and profound effect of that three-day visit, which included opportunity for some leisurely conversation with that great humanitarian theologian, musician, and physician. But one event stands out in a special way. It was 11 o'clock in the morning. The equatorial sun was beating down mercilessly, and we were walking up a hill with Dr. Schweitzer. Suddenly he left us and strode across the slope of the hill to a place where an African woman was struggling upward with a huge armload of wood for the cook fires. I watched with both admiration and concern as the 85-year-old man took the entire load of wood and carried it up the hill for the relieved woman. When we all reached the top of the hill, one of the members of our group asked Dr. Schweitzer why he did things like that, implying that in that heat and that at his age he should not. Albert Schweitzer, looking right at all of us and pointing to the woman, said simply, no one should ever have to carry a burden like that alone. I think the servant heart is one that has compassion and sympathy for others. A servant is able to sympathize because of the sympathy he has experienced. He's motivated to reach out in compassion. 
Number three, I think a, a heart of a servant is a gentle heart. A gentle heart, I would take that from verse uh, it five. Blessed are the meek or the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Today's world, meekness is often associated with weakness. Someone who is not able to stand up for himself. Someone who is everyone else's doormat. But meekness or gentleness in a Christian servant's heart is a sign of real strength. When I think of a gentle person, a person who's really meek is someone who is tremendous internal strength but is willing to be gentle, but is willing to uh, not to show that. If I were to draw a word picture, I would draw a picture of a huge horse who has been gentle, a, a, a very spirited stallion who has, someone has very much braver than I, has gentled this horse. And now they can get on that horse and, and, and guide him with just a little bit on the on the reins, just just a little bit is all it takes to get action from that that powerful beast. Gentleness is a neurosurgeon with a scalpel in his hand. Very very dangerous, but also oh gentle, also oh skilled. You know the servant of God has all the strength of God behind him, all the power. but is able to be very gentle. Being able to express tact and courtesy and politeness in difficult situations rather than yelling at somebody. <clears throat> Controlling the urge to tell someone off when I know that I could very fluently and eloquently tell them off. Gentleness is the mark of a servant's heart. And when I think of a real gentle man, I think of John the Baptist. I wonder about John the Baptist. I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a man who was rough and ready, if you want to say it that way. He was brought up in the desert. He, he was strong. He was tough. There was nothing that could really faze him. And toward the end of his ministry, when Christ came, the people came up to him and said, you know, John, uh, you know, this man over here, look at him. He's increasing. And what's happening to you? And John said, he must increase. I must decrease. He knew that God had worked through him, but he was not willing to push back against someone else. He was gentle. He had a servant's heart. Number four, the servant's heart is a passionate heart. And this is where maybe, if I could read the, the heart of this church, maybe where we are the weakest. And I don't want to be judgmental of anyone. 
I'm speaking to myself, but maybe this is where some of the passion that we have is not as passionate as it should be. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. When we talk about hunger and thirst, we're talking about a drive, something that is very, very powerful. When I'm very, very hungry, when I'm very, very thirsty, I'm driven. I have a deep desire, a passion. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, those which hunger and thirst, not after physical food, obviously, but after righteousness. There's two kinds of passion that are expressed here. The first one is a deep and ongoing hunger for God's righteousness in our lives. The desire that is so strong and basic for the Christian, it's only satisfied temporarily, and then there is more desire for God's righteousness. 11th century Bernard of Clairvaux wrote this verse, We taste thee, O thou living bread. We taste thee, O thou living bread, and long to feast upon thee still. We drink of thee the fountainhead, and thirst our souls from thee to fill. It's ongoing. So the first one is a deep and ongoing hunger for God's righteousness in our lives. And secondly, it's a passion for justice and right in the world. I think it's easy for us as a Mennonite, conservative Mennonite church to not be passionate about things out there and to lose our passion for that. We kind of step back in a way at times. And maybe we are not affected by the fact that there is, there is, there is all that evil going on and all those needs out there. And maybe our souls are being filled with, with less than the righteousness of God. Maybe we've lost our keen, the keen edge of our appetite for God's righteousness. That was the case with the Laodicean church that John wrote to in Revelation 3. He says, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and has have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Are we passionate? I'm, the challenge is to me personally, am I passionate for righteousness in the world? Am I willing to go out of my way to reach a soul for Christ? To meet a need, a deep, deep, deep need that crosses my path? Do I have the passion there or can I turn away? I read a little comical story about Rudyard Kipling. He was a uh, classical author, I believe. And he wrote about General Booth, who was the who began the Salvation Army. And, and this Rudyard Kipling was taking a tour around the world. And in one of the African ports, he observed this General Booth boarding the ship. And he said there were all these Natives there were were sending him off and they were beating their tambourines and they were dancing and they were really expressing themselves. 
And uh, to Kipling's fastidious soul, this was very revolting. And he approached General Booth later and told him, you know, I, don't, I didn't like what I saw there with these people beating their tambourines and, and all. And, and uh, General Booth turned to him. He says, young man, if I thought that I could win one more soul for Christ by standing on my hands and beating a tambourine with my feet, I would learn to do it. Passion. A servant's heart must be passionate. A servant who becomes a very good servant is passionate about meeting needs. Number five, a servant's heart is a merciful heart. And Jesus speaks to that directly. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Sonny talked about kindness this morning. I think mercy and kindness are very much related. It's a prime requisite for the Christian servant is to be merciful. John, writing in his epistle, says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Isaiah, is, is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. The gift of mercy is so vital in the body of Christ if we are going to be servants. And Jesus demonstrated this when he washed his, servant, his disciples' feet. We use this as an illustration of humility many times, and it was that, but it was also showing mercy. He saw the dirty road, he saw the need, and he was not afraid to reach out. We have experienced such great mercy from God, we need to pass that on. Number six, the servant's heart is a sincere heart. Jesus, in his sermon, says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Speaking of sincerity. Along that line, first of all, the servant must be, his heart must be clean. I will ruin my service to others if my heart is not clean. If my heart is not right before God, it will um, destroy my ministry. It will destroy the joy. It taints the outcome. It destroys the purpose and witness of that heart, of that service. So if you're reaching out or wanting to reach out in service to anyone, your heart needs to be clean. You need to bear your heart before God and get it cleansed. Along with being clean, our heart needs to be without pretense. 
Our heart needs to be without pretense, without hypocrisy. We can do things in a hypocritical way. And Jesus had no, no room for the hypocrite. And for the sake of time this morning, I won't read one of his messages out of Matthew 23 to the scribes and Pharisees whom he called hypocrites. He had no place for them. My question to myself and to you all this morning is, do we have ulterior motives for our acts of service? You know, the things that we do, are, is, are we doing them to be seen of, of other people? That is, that is a trap that we can easily, easily fall into. You know, the old thing, we're way too grown up to, to uh, you know, throw big wads of money in the offering plate as it passes by. We would never do that. That's too obvious. But we may do other things that, you know, we really won't do them in private. Because nobody's noticing. Nobody's noticing what we're doing. And that is hypocrisy. That is... Being a servant is, is, is to be seen of man. And God has really no, no place for that. He said, you've already got your reward. The outward in God will not reward you for that. We can never fool God. You know, he sees our heart. He sees whether we're real and why we're doing things, why we're serving I've shared a story before, and uh, at risk of, of repeating it, I'm going to anyway. Charles Swindoll shares the story of a, uh, a little toy horse in the nursery, but it blesses me every time I read it. He says the skin horse had lived longer in the nursery than any of the others. He was so old that his brown coat was bald in patches. And showed the seams underneath and most of the hairs in his tail had been pulled out to bead string necklaces. He was wise for he had seen a long succession of mechanical toys arrive to boast and swagger and by and by break their mainsprings and pass away. And he, ne and he knew they were only toys. It would never turn in anything else. For nursery magic is very strange and wonderful and, it is, and only those playthings that are old and wise and experienced like the skin horse, understand all about it. What is real? asked the rabbit one day when they were lying side by side near the nursery fender before Nana came to tidy the room. Does it mean having things that buzz inside of you and stick out and a stick out handle? Real isn't how you are made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily or have sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. 
But those things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly. Except to people who don't understand. A sincere heart. Number seven. A conciliatory heart. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. The heart of a servant is one who strives for peace. First of all, at peace with God himself. Without this, we can't be peacemakers. At peace with ourselves. Peace in our relationship with others. Facilitating peace in others, trying to bring peace into their hearts, peacemakers. Showing forgiveness in our ministry to others. I've got to share another story of Charles Swindoll's. This was personal with him. He met a young man. He, his, his real name is not given, but his, he was a seminary student. He called him Aaron. Aaron was looking and praying for a ministry project for the upcoming summer. Nothing showed up. Finally, he got desperate because he needed money to make ends meet. Only thing that showed up was a bus driving job in Southside Chicago. I don't know if you've been... Southside Chicago, but it's pretty, pretty tough, pretty tough neighborhood. After a brief training session to show him the routes, he was on his own. It didn't take long to realize what a dangerous job this was. A group of tough kids soon spotted the rookie driver and decided to take advantage of him. For a few mornings in a row, they got on the bus without paying and walked right past Aaron and got off when they pleased, all the time making smart remarks to him and others on the bus. Finally, Aaron had enough. Spotting a policeman on the next corner, he pulled over and reported the offense. The officer told them to pay up or get off. They paid up, but, when the officer got, but then the officer got off. And they stayed on. The gang assaulted the young man. When Aaron came to, blood was all over his shirt. Two teeth were missing. Both eyes were swollen. His money was gone and the bus was empty. He returned to the terminal and spent the weekend in his apartment wondering where his ministry was going. He was disillusioned, angry, and confused. On Monday, he decided to press charges. With the help of the policemen and some other witnesses, most of the gang was rounded up and put in the county jail. The hearing was held in a few days. When Aaron looked across the courtroom at the angry gang members, all of a sudden the Lord changed his heart. He was filled with compassion for these young people. They needed help. After a plea of guilty was entered for the gang members, Aaron all of a sudden stood up and requested to speak. Your Honor, I would like to total up all the days of punishment against these men, all the time sentenced against them, and I request that you allow me to go to jail in their place. The judge and the attorneys were stunned by the request. He said the gang members' eyes were like saucers. Aaron smiled and said quietly, it's because I forgive you. The judge said rather firmly, young man, you're out of order. This sort of thing has never been done before. To which the young man replied, Oh yes, it has, Your Honor. 
it happened over 19 centuries ago. For the next few minutes, without interruption, Aaron shared his faith with those in that courtroom. Aaron's request was not granted, but he was able to visit the gang members in jail and led most of them to the Lord. He was able to start a ministry in Southside Chicago. Forgiveness is powerful. It's a powerful thing to do as a service to others. Finally, the servant's heart is a tough heart or a resilient heart. To be a good servant, we've got to be tough. Because we're going to meet a lot of resistance. The passage that I use as a basis for this concept is, Blessed are they, he says, to those on the mount. Jesus said, those which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I don't know if you've ever tried to serve someone and they didn't respond well. It's, it's a blessing when people appreciate your service. It's great when they do. But sometimes down the road, you're going to do something very nice for someone and they're not going to appreciate it all. They're going to come back at you. We will be misunderstood. We will be rejected. We will be persecuted. And we're going to wonder why we're here. And we're going to ask the question, what if I feel I'm not much good at this servant thing? It doesn't seem to work for me. I don't have a whole lot to offer. Always, uh, I always botch up anything I try. I'm terribly shy. It just doesn't seem to work for me. My admonition to all of us is to keep on serving, to be resilient, to be tough. A servant cannot, dare not quit. I won't ask for a raise of hands of the ministers in this audience who have wanted to quit. Because I'm sure there would be hands. I would be one of them. When you thought you were doing what was right, and maybe you were, and it just didn't seem to turn out. We've got to be tough. There was a minister one time who told his friend, uh, his colleague, he said, I'm quitting. He said, Don Guillermo, I'm going to quit. Guillermo replied, why do you give me, why do you give your resignation to me? When you began your service, you said the Lord Jesus was calling you to tell others about him. I thought, I think you better present your resignation to the one who called you. Let's get down on our knees here and you tell them that you're going to quit. 
Let him hear what you just told me, that it's too hard, that too many people criticize you. Tell the Lord he's the one who sent you. Well, I hesitate to do that, he replied. I'm afraid he'll tell me to stay with the job. If that's what he wants, don't you think you'd better stay? Yes, I think I should. Taking new courage and refusing to look back, the evangelist went on to plow a straight furrow for God. There are rewards for the faithful servant. I close with that thought. For those of you beginning to wonder. Jesus said in Mark 10, Whoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. There will be rewards for service. For those of you who are serving, who are faithful, maybe in small ways that might never be noticed. It's, it's great when people show appreciation. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And we definitely need to show appreciation when people do things for us. But in reality, the, most of the rewards are in the future for the servant of the Lord who's faithful. The most of the rewards are, are up in heaven. After we pass on, uh, we would all like to have a greeting from our master. Um, well done. You, you did good. I trust that's our goal and that's the reward that we will look for. Are you a servant where you are in your home? In your workplace, in the church, in your youth group, are you a servant? Are you willing to serve? Do you have a servant's heart? I suggest that you read the Sermon on the Mount. Again, when you're struggling with service, read that over again and look at what a servant's heart is all about. That's what Christ is calling us to. You've been listening to The Heart of a Servant, a message by Sam Troyer. This podcast is brought to you from the Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Find us online at BethelMennoniteOnline.org. Thanks for listening.